This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. And one of the most fascinating questions, which I'm always puzzled with, is why this name, Purim? It's a strange name for a Jewish holiday, because Purim means lottery. Why do we call a Jewish holiday lottery? Because, number one, Jews are very leery of lotteries. It's a big question, halakha, if a Jew is allowed to play a lottery, but not, allowed, not only play a lottery, is allowed to win the lottery. Why? Because when everyone buys a ticket, then everyone assumes they're going to win. And when one person wins, they're taking their money away against their will. In other words, I don't buy a ticket to, to lose. I buy a ticket to win. And therefore, when I lose, my money is being taken against my will. So in Jewish law, rabbinically, from rabbinical law, from Torah law, no problem. From rabbinical law, it's a problem of a rabbinic kind of robbery. It's a rabbinic kind of a robbery. Why? Because the person does not want to lose. Everyone wants to win. When they lose, the money is being taken away against their will. So therefore, Jews, halakhically, are very much leery of lotteries. Well, then the problem, it's no problem losing. The problem is winning the lottery, which is, anyway, hard to do. But uh, lotteries uh, don't get such, we don't play dice. We don't play dice with lotteries and stuff. But uh, it's interesting that here we have a holiday, a Jewish holiday called lottery. Very strange. Why is there a Jewish holiday called lottery? That's the first question we have to discuss. Number two is it ties into the Torah reading for Shabbat Zahor. Last Shabbat was Shabbat Zahor because we read the parasha dealing with Amalek. Amalek, the connection to Amalek and Purim is the Amalek were the ones who were the first nation to attack the Jewish people. When they came out of Egypt was Amalek. Interesting. It's a parasha. At uh, the end of Parashat B'Shalach, we just crossed the Red Sea. And hey, presto, as soon as we crossed the Red Sea, you think he would get a bit scared. You know, Pharaoh and his army had drowned in the sea. And here's Amalek attacking us. Amazing. Well, he had, no, he had no fear at all to attack the Jewish people with all the miracles that happened. Amazing. So here is Amalek, which represents the anti-God. So this is the concept of anti-God, a nation which is anti-God and anti-his people. The, the classic anti-Semite, not just anti-Semite against the people, but anti-Semite against the God of the Jews. I hate the, the God of the Jews. The fact that there's a mass in the universe, this is antithesis to Amalek. And this is what we read last Shabbat. We read the Haftarah, the read the Maftir from Parsha Kitetzeh, the end of Parsha Kitetzeh. I just want to read you a little bit of the lines. Remember what Amalek did to you, but there it come away. And here we have the key word. Asher karcha baderech. Asher karcha baderech. They happened on the way. Asher karcha baderech. They happened on the way. So Rashi Avia gives a few different commentaries of what is karcha. He says karcha could come from the word kar, which is cold. You know, everyone was scared to jump into this hot bath. He gives the analogy of a hot bath. Everyone's scared to jump into the hot bath. They're going to get burnt. And here is Amalek, and he jumped in. He was the first one to attack the Jews despite all the miracles, and he cooled down the bath. So Karcha, Rashi says, one of the explanations is Karcha is cooling down. The other explanation is the language of Kerry, which happening. Amalek happened on the way. Their God, Amalek's God, is the God of happening, a God of chance. Interesting. Uh, who created the world? Today, there's two different opinions. One opinion is it was God. That's our opinion. The Jewish opinion is it was God. God created the world. 
In fact, that's the beginning of the whole Torah. Bereshit Barayim Hashem created the world right at the beginning. However, the evolutionists come along, just like Amalek. Chance created the world. Evolution, everything happened by chance. That is Amalek. Amalek's God was the God of chance. So when Haman wants to know when to kill the Jews, guess what? He uses a lottery. This is why, because if everything is run by chance, so I believe the chance runs the world. How am I going to when I kill the Jews? What is the best time to kill the Jews? Chance will tell me when to kill the Jews. I'll figure out by chance, by lottery, when to kill the Jews. That's why Purim, Hashem Hapur, because of the poor, because of the lots that Haman cast. He didn't just cast one lot. He cast many lots. He wanted to know which, which month. So every month that goes by, he cast lottery, 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 lottery. So the month came up. The month came up on the 12th month of the year, which is fortunate for us because he didn't want to kill the Jews. Imagine if the, if the lottery landed on number one, he would kill the Jews the first month, which is no time to do anything. But it lottery landed. Imagine his idea of his God is lottery. His God is chance worked against him. So we're going to talk about today how God is the God of lotteries. You know, it's interesting. There's a famous line Einstein uh, made, a, uh, you know, he said, God does not play dice with the universe. There's a famous letter that Einstein wrote because, you know, he's trying to explain quantum theory. Quantum theory is that you don't know exactly where the particle is. We know there's a, there's a particle for the electrons, but we don't know exactly where that particle is. Quantum theory says there's an uncertainty in the, the, the path of the electron. Where is the electron right now? We don't know where the particle is. So Einstein says, impossible. God does not play dice with the universe. But you know what? God is the master dice player. That is what Amalek forgot. That is what Haman forgot. Hashem, and today there's books written by these mathematicians. God plays dice with the universe. You know what? We're celebrating the festival of Purim. Purim is all about dice. Purim is all about lots. Purim is all about how God is in control of all the lots, of all the lotteries. God is in control of all the dice. God plays dice with the universe. The only difference is God knows how to throw the dice. God, you can't beat God at the game. You know, I, I always envision uh, this world history as a chess game, right? So you've ever played a master? I've made a, I played a master chess player when I was in Canada, one of the top chess players in Canada. And there were 18 of us playing this one guy. And he would go around the table, barely look at the chessboard and make his move. And we're sitting there thinking like 20 minutes. And he would come around, boom, move his move. And, I, and he would beat, he beat everyone. So, and uh, that's a master chess player. Hashem is the master chess player. Hashem is in charge of all the lotteries. Hashem knows all the chances. Hashem knows what's going on. There's no fooling God. God plays the lottery. God is the master of the lots. I think that's the reason why we call the name Purim. Don't think that a lottery is, you know, we believe in chance and luck. No, we believe in God who is in control of chance. It's all the chances that happen in the world, all the uh, possibilities. Hashem is in total control. So let's talk about that. That's my theory. And that's why I think that the rabbis call left the name Purim, which is named lottery, which is strange, a strange name for a Jewish holiday, to tell us, yeah, you know, Haman threw the lots, and guess who won the game? Hashem won the game. Despite Haman's lots, Hashem still won. Why? Because Hashem is the master dice player. Hashem plays dice with the universe. He knows exactly what's happening. 
Yes, there is uncertainty in the universe. That's what gives us our free will. With all our free will, Hashem is the master of the dice. So we think, you know, we're in control. We think that these things happen by chance. Hashem says, you know what? I'm going to show you. I'm the master of chance. And that's why Purim is called a lottery. Why? To tell us that God is, in fact, the hero of the piece is God. And even though there's one word missing from the Megillah, do you know what? Do you know there's one famous word missing from the Megillah? For those who didn't read the Megillah yet, you can read it tonight in America, tomorrow in Jerusalem. For those who didn't read the Megillah yet, look for that one word which is missing. I'll give you a clue. It's God. Hashem's name is, does not appear in the Megillah. It's wild. This is one of the wildest things in, in the Megillah is God's name does not appear in the Megillah. And the reason is there's a few reasons given. One of the reasons is because the Megillah Esther was sent out to all the nations. It says Mordechai wrote the Megillah Esther and sent it to all the nations in the king's realm, which is 127 provinces. So there was a fear over there that everyone would, they would write down God's name. Every nation would come along and erase God's name and write in their God. Everyone had different gods. So it was, an, it was a book for all nations. This was not a book just for Jews. book for all nations. And the reason why God does not appear in the book is we have to put God in the book. The Megillah is all about us recognizing that everything happened. It was all done, what's called Hashgacha, divine providence. The Megillah is run from beginning to end by divine providence. That there's a cause for what happened is the Jews went to this feast, a non-kosher feast, uh, with uh, the temple uh, vessels which were used by a Hashverosh to drink the wine and to eat the food. And with all that, Hashem punished them. And you know what? And everything worked out somehow. They did Teshuvah. Um, when, when Haman got the ring from Ahasuerus, all the Jews heard there's a decree, they all did Teshuvah, everything worked out. But behind the scenes, there's the master chess player. Behind the scenes is the master dice player. Who's the master dice player whose name is not even mentioned is God. And that's, that's a theme in the Megillah. Why? Why is everything so hidden in the Megillah? And the answer is because it was a period, and we're in the same period today, the period of what's called Hester Panim. And this is a famous Gemara in Cholin. I just want to quote you this Gemara. It's an interesting Gemara. The Gemara in Cholin discusses the mitzvah of Shiluach HaKen, which is the mitzvah of shooing away the mother bird and taking the chicks. When you want to take the chicks from the nest, you can't just take the chicks from the nest. You can't just take the eggs from the nest. You have to shoo away the mother bird. It's cruel to take the babies in front of the mother bird. Shoo away the mother bird. The reason is given... Uh, we're not allowed to say it's because of mercy, God is mercy, but, but there's different reasons given. One of them is the Ramban. I like this Ramban. Ramban says there's a mitzvah to preserve the species. If you take the mother bird and the, and the nest and the, and the chicks and the eggs, there's not going to be a future generation. There's a mitzvah to preserve the species. So don't take the whole thing. Leave something to, pre- pre- uh, to keep the species going. So leave the mother bird. Show away. She'll have more eggs somewhere else, and there'll be more eggs for everyone, and the species will continue. Don't destroy the whole species. Anyway, interesting. But here in the middle of this uh, Gemara, which talks about showing away the mother bird, we have a famous Gemara. I'm just going to quote to you. First of all, it, ta- it asked the question, where is Moshe Rabbeinu predicted in the Torah? Very, very interesting question. And it says, we learn now from one word, Beshigam. Beshigam is in Breshit. 
predicting the land of Moshe Rabbeinu is the same gematria as the word Moshe, Beshegam is the same gematria, the same numerical value as the word Moshe. Anyway, that's not my topic. And then it continues, well, where do we learn Haman? Where is Haman predicted in the Torah? And the Gemara tells us a famous line which God told Adam. Can you imagine? God is talking to Adam, and in between the lines, we learn about Haman. Imagine, this is wild. God is talking about Adam, and what does God tell Adam? Hamin ha'etz hazeh. Did you eat from this tree that I told you not to eat from? And the word hamin, from this tree, did you eat from this tree? The same letters as the word Haman. Now, what is the connection between Adam and Haman? And the answer is an amazing answer. This is a, this is a wild answer. This is, this is human psychology. Human psychology is, what do you do if you have everything? What would you do if you have everything? God gave you paradise. He gave you Gan Eden. He gave you every single tree. He gave you all the fruits. He gave you a wife who was made to measure. Chava was made to measure for Adam. Adam, Adam had everything. And what does he do? He only had one thing he couldn't have. And the one thing he couldn't have, that's what he wanted. That's amazing. The one thing, imagine all these multi-billionaires, all these oligarchs today, they're losing their yachts, unfortunately, or fortunately. They're using all their yachts. They're, using all their, they're losing all their planes. Uh, but here's Adam Rishon was the greatest, the multi-billionaire. He owns the whole world. And Hashem gave him everything. He says, but just don't eat from this tree in the middle of the garden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it. And Adam says, oh, that's what I can't have. That's what I want. And God comes and says, did you eat from that tree? The only, the only mitzvah I gave you in the whole garden was the mitzvah of not eating from this tree. And that's what you ate from. And that's the connection between Adam and Haman. Hamin ha'etz ha'zef. Did you eat from this tree? Why? Because the Megillah tells us Haman had everything. He, he tells all his friends, I have many children. I have lots of money. I have power. There's no one above me except the king. The king loves me. The queen even invited me to a party tomorrow. I have everything. But when I see the Jew, Mordechai, who doesn't even budge when I pass by, he says, all what I have is not worth anything to me. Wow, that is amazing. Imagine, think about it. You have everything. Haman had everything. But he didn't have one thing. And he says, whatever I have is worthless. Imagine being a multi-billionaire and then saying, I don't have this one thing. This one human being does not give me respect. And therefore, everything I have is worthless. He is just like Adam. Adam had everything. And when he thought about the tree that he couldn't eat from, he says, whatever I have, it's worthless. I got to get that tree. I got to have that fruit. And so he was like Haman. Haman was like Adam. Imagine, this is tremendous Musar for all of us to be happy with what you have. Ezu Ashir, who is wealthy, a person who is happy with what you have. Don't be like Haman and don't be like Adam. That's one of the messages in the Megillah, beautiful message in the Megillah. And now the Gemara tells us, Esther min Torah benign. Where do we learn? That where does the Torah predict Esther in the Torah? Wow. And then the, the Gemara brings down Pasuk in the Barim. This is one of a prediction in Pasha Bayelech. At the end of days, Hashem says, Banochi, Haster, Astir, Panai. I will surely hide my face. 
Esther, it comes with Astir. Hashem says, I will hide. Hester, Hester Panim. Esther is a language of hiding. Now, it's interesting because obviously her name was Esther for a purpose because Esther is like Ishtar. Ishtar was the name for a star. Esther was a star. We have to understand her name means star. The word star, Esther, star, comes from Esther, Ishtar. She was the star of the show. She was the star of Ahasuerus' palace. She was the star of Persia, Esther. She had a beautiful name, Ishtar. And her Hebrew name was Hadassah. Hadassah, he Esther. And we're going to talk a bit about that, but rather shared. But Esther comes from this word, the, ta- the Talmud says, Anochi, Haster, Astir et Panai. Hashem says, in the future, I'm going to hide my face. The Jews are going to sin so badly. In the second, the first temple period, the Jews were idolaters. They're doing three cardinal sins. Hashem said, I'm going to hide my face from them. They'll have to look for me. I'm not going to reveal myself. There's not going to be any more revealed miracles from the time of Purim. There's no more revealed miracles. We have to search for God and say, what does God want from all these events? Why? And, you know, especially in our generation, why the Holocaust? Why God? Why did you do these things? That's Esther Pani. When we have to ask God, why are there wars till today? Can imagine? There's a war going on, which could, who knows, it could turn into, because won't turn into a world war, but it could very easily turn into a world war. It could turn into a nuclear holocaust. We don't want this. Obviously, we don't want this. And then we're going to ask, why? Why, Hashem? Why are these things going on today? That's Esther Panim. When we have to ask, why is God doing these things? Why are these things happening? That is a sign of Esther Panim. When God's face is revealed, it's very easy to see what's going on. When God's face is hidden from the time of Purim on, that's why God's name is another reason why God's name is not mentioned in the Gila. It was a time where God is hidden and we have to look for God. Imagine, there's a, there's a famous joke. One of the rabbi's sons, I can't remember which rabbi it was, came crying to the rabbi, 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 Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. He says, why are you crying? He says, we're playing hide and seek. So why are you crying? He says, I'm hiding, but no one is seeking me. So that is today. Today, Hashem is hiding. And we have to seek Hashem. What does Hashem want from us? So luckily, you know, we have a Torah which speaks to us. Hashem is talking, but we learn Torah. We have to understand Hashem is talking to us. But those who don't learn Torah will say, what does God want from me? I don't know. I have no idea. And when I look at history, it's complete. History is based on this word, there, which is hiddenness. It's interesting. Even the word history has got the same root as the word Hester. Hester Pani, which is hidden face. History is hiding God's face. And it's interesting because the Ramban says, it says, He says the word hateva, which means nature, is the same gematria as the word elokim, which is 86. Hateva, nature, is the same gematria as elokim. Why? Because nature hides God. Imagine we think everything comes from nature. The word nature and the word God have the same numerical value amazing amazing so hester panim esther represents hester panim the megillah what does a megillah mean a megillah is a scroll but the word megillah can also come from the word legalot legalot means to reveal so megillah esther can mean to reveal the hidden imagine if you write history with this eye on god and find out what is god wanting then you'll be able to see some things that other people cannot see. You'll be able to reveal things. When they wrote Megillah Esther, they put these events, which happened over 12 years, in a certain progression. So you can see the Jews went to the party, 
then there's a decree against the queen, the queen, the first queen was taken away, then you have Queen Esther's already in the palace, then Haman makes his decree, and Queen Esther is right there in the palace. So everything followed a certain sequence that is a decree, there's uh, the Queen Esther's already in place, the rabbis say, Hashem is Mahdim Hashem brings you the cure before the calamity. Hashem brings the cure before the calamity. It's interesting. Uh, when the Jewish state was the before, just before the Jewish state, 948, Jews were already coming back to Israel. Israel was ready on the map. But the trouble is that Jews did not leave in time to go to Palestine. They didn't leave in time from the east, far east. They didn't leave in time from the, uh, the eastern countries of Europe. So that's tragic. But it was there already. It was on the map already. And therefore, Hashem is Makdim Rufu But it takes a lot of insight to, be able to see that. See, what does God want in history? That's Hester Parim. That is the lesson of Mikida. That's why Purim is Purim. We have to know that everything works by chance. And God is the master of chance. Hashem is the master of lobby. I just want to quote to you a very, very interesting Midrash and then an interesting Ramba. This is very interesting. There's a saying. When all the other holidays and festivals are forgotten, Purim will still be commemorated. This is a Midrash. This is a Midrash on the book of Mishlei, which is the book of Proverbs. In chapter number nine, Midrash says, Kol atidim All the festivals will be annulled in the messianic period. All the festivals will be annulled. But the days of Purim will not be annulled at all forever. As it says in the Megillah, And the days of Purim will not depart from the Jews. Wow, this is amazing. Rabbi Laza says, This is like Purim, Kippurim. Purim and Kippurim will not be annulled forever. It says, by the day of Kippur, Yom Kippur, it says, this will be a statue for you forever. So we find interesting, again, this is a famous Arizal, that Purim and Kippurim are the same festival. In other words, just like we attain atonement on Kippurim by fasting, we attain atonement on Purim by being happy. That's wild. By celebrating God's redemption, a person gets atonement. How does a person get atonement? By celebrating God's redemption. Because when a person acknowledges God's supremacy over chance, you get atonement. Because the person is recognizing the truth. That's how a person gets atonement. So it's a fascinating idea that Purim is, is the same or greater than Kippurim. When you fast and Yom Kippur, you're turning atonement. When you're happy on Purim, celebrating God's miracle, which is not obvious, but he's God in history, that is like Kippurim, is like atonement. Tremendous atonement. Fantastic idea. This fantastic idea of the Arisa. And now I want to quote you, Rambam. So this Midrash is very strange. Why? this idea that all the festivals will be annulled, it's not brought down as halakha. Halakhically, the festivals will keep on going. So I'm going to quote you the Rambam. The Rambam says, what is the halakha? The Rambam says, now he says, look what he says. He said, the Midrash says the festivals will be annulled. No, it's not the festivals that will be annulled. He says, call Sifreha Nevi'im, all the other books of the prophets, and all the chronicles, 
עתידים לבטל ימות המשיח, will be annulled in the time of the Mashiach, Mashiach. In the Messiah's time, we won't need to read all the books of the prophets and the books of the chronicles, except for Megillat Esther. Wild, this is wild as well. This is, now this is, this is Rambam, you can't argue with Rambam, why? Because this is Alakha. This is the bottom line. What is the bottom line? The bottom line, according to Rambam, is we'll have the five books of Moses and Megillat Esther. That will be the whole Tanakh. You'll have all the oral law, you have the Mishnah and the Talmud, but the written law will be now confined to five and books of the Torah and one book of Esther. Can you imagine? Six books in Tanakh instead of 24. Six books in Tanakh will make life for those who learn Tanakh very easily. Very easy. Six books instead of 24. Wow, that's what Rambam says. The book of Megillat Esther will last like the five books of the Torah. Why? What does this mean? Why? Because all the books of the prophets are there to get us to this end, to this messianic period. The books of the prophets were written to get us to the messianic period. Well, after, and the, in the messianic period itself, we'll need them. What will we need? We'll need the book of Esther. What's the purpose of the book of Esther in the messianic period? Because we need to know all the time that when you can't see God in history doesn't mean that God is not there. God is there all the time. Whether you see him or not, he's behind the scenes, pulling the strings. Exactly, I like to get out of there. And this lesson is a lesson forever. When Mashiach is here, not here, we have to realize Hashem is with us 24-7, even without being seen, without any miracles. In fact, there's a big debate. Will there be miracles when Mashiach comes. This is a famous debate. This is a beautiful, I want to quote you this Gemara before I forget. It's a Gemara in Sanhedrin. And the Gemara says like this. This is a famous Gemara. I just want to quote to you. Beautiful Gemara. This is on page Sadiqet Amod Aleph in Sanhedrin. And the Gemara brings down different opinions regarding the Messianic era. So I'm just going to go through a few of them and then we'll get to what I point, my point. The Mashiach will not come unless the generation is totally righteous or totally evil. Imagine, Mashiach can come when the whole generation is all righteous or when the whole generation is all evil. Now, for the whole generation to be righteous, that's going to be a lie. If the whole generation be evil, also there will always be some righteous people hiding somewhere. So it's impossible, really. Can you imagine? Think about it. the whole generation righteous or the whole generation people. Anyway, that's one opinion. That's right. Yochanan's opinion, and he says, Okay, so he brings these two different uh, ways the Mashiach could come. All the generation are totally righteous. All the generation is totally evil. Okay, that's number one. Number two, he says, then he, then he brings, then, then there's Rabbi Yeshua, but Levi says, it says he will come in the right time. It also says, I'll bring him fast. There's a contradiction in two different verses. One verse says, Mashiach will come in its right time. And one verse says, Mashiach will come fast. How does he reconcile these two verses? So he says, Zahu, if the Jewish people deserve it, Mashiach will come first. Those Zahu beta. If they don't deserve it, then Mashiach will come in the time. In other words, there is a, an end limit to God's patience with the world. There'll be a time by that by the end of the time, the Ketz, what's called the Ketz, 
uh, the, the Mashiach will come by that time, regardless of whether we're worthy or not worthy. If we're worthy, he'll come earlier. If we're not worthy, he's going to come at the right time. Now we come to another a different, uh, this is what I want to get to. Rishur ben Levi, Rishur ben Levi was a very great rabbi, says he went alive into Gan Eden. He never died. Rishur ben Levi is one of the people who never died. He went alive into Gan Eden. And uh, he writes, there's a contradiction between two verses. Beautiful verses, a contradiction between two verses. And one verse is in, in the prophet Daniel. And one verse is in the prophet Zechariah. So in Daniel, in chapter 7, verse 13, Daniel says, says, And I saw in the clouds, like the form of a human being. So the rabbis say, this is the Mashiach. Mashiach is coming in the clouds. And then there's another pasuk, which is in prophet Zechariah. And this is in Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. And Zechariah says, He's a poor man riding on a donkey. So Daniel says Mashiach will come on the clouds. And Zechariah says Mashiach will come as a poor man on a donkey. So how do you reconcile these two verses? So this Talmud says, Rabbi Shubh Levi says, it's a contradiction. He's going to come in the clouds or he's going to come on a donkey. Which way is he going to come? So he says, if the Jews are worthy, Mashiach will come in a cloud. What does that mean? Mashiach will cloud come with miracles. Miraculous coming. Just like coming out of Egypt was miraculous, the Messianic age will be miraculous. If the Jews are not worthy, then he'll come on a donkey. And that's what we're seeing today. The Mashiach is coming on a donkey. It's coming in a slow progression in a normal fashion. That's a donkey. A normal fashion. Now, it's interesting because... The word donkey is the word chamor. Chamor you know, comes from the word chemar. Chemar is cement. Why? Because a donkey is like cement. What's the comparison of a donkey to cement? Donkeys are very stubborn. They don't boo. They don't budge. Just like cement doesn't budge. So interesting that the root of the word donkey is the word chemar, which is like cement doesn't budge. Anyway, so, but it also relates to the word, which is the word for materialism in, in Hebrew. Materialism. The donkey's materialism, so the, don- the Mashiach's job will be to control the materialism. It's a very, ma- that's what it means. It's coming on a donkey, a very materialistic society. Our society is probably the most materialistic society of all societies so far. So interesting, Israel Shev will see this. Mashiach should come in miracles. If he doesn't come in miracles, he'll come in natural means. Either way, we'll take it. Either way, we'll take it. By miracles, ideally. Natural means, we'll see Mashiach in our day. But it's interesting that this book of Esther is the most critical book in the Chumah, in the whole Tanakh, according to this Rambam. All the other books will be annulled. Now, what does that mean, be annulled? So the Rav, Rav Abraham ben David, who's the classic commentator on the Rambam, who, who usually argues with him, over here comes says and says, you know what? I can explain the Rambam in a very nice way. What do you mean the other books of the prophets will be annulled? doesn't mean they'll be really annulled. It means that they won't be read in public. When do we read the book of prophets in public? When we read the Haftarah. The Haftarah are the books of prophets. We read the prophecies to do with us. Rabbi says, when the Rabbam says all the other books will be annulled, it means they won't be read in public anymore. The only book of prophets that we read in public is the book of Esther. That's it. The only time we read the book of Esther is in Purim, but we're going to read it in public. All the other books of the prophets will be annulled. We won't read them as haftarot. There'll be no need for haftarot in the Messianic period because our society will be on a higher level. We won't need the exhortations. We won't need the musar 
the ethics of the prophets. We'll just need the five books of Moses. That'll be enough for us. And I would also need the book of Esther. So interesting, very fascinating um, idea over here. So, so the Mashiach will come either through miracles or through natural means. So we, ha- we, ha- we talked about why does the Megillah, one of the only books of the Torah, which has no name of God in it. The second question I have is why if Mordechai seems to be the major force in the Megillah, Mordechai seems to be the one who's doing everything. He's the one who advises Esther, you know, hide your nationality, don't tell anyone. He's the one who's telling the Jews, do Teshuvah, there's a decree. He's the one who's standing up to Haman, who won't bow down to Haman. He's the one who tells Esther, go and plead with the king and save the Jews. He seems to be the main person in the Megillah. And yet, the Megillah is not named Megillat Mordechai. It's named Megillat Esther. Now, why is the Megillah called after Esther and not called after Mordechai? Now, it's interesting because Esther is the one who tells the rabbis, write a book for me. You write a book for me. Why? Because Esther is the one who is sacrificed. Now, this is, you know, we're all happy on Purim, but we have to remember the sacrifice of Esther, this poor, I call her poor because she's a poor Jewish girl who was sacrificed to this mean, idol-worshipping, miserable king, Ahasuerus. She was sacrificed. She sacrificed herself to Ahasuerus so that she could save the Jewish people. That is one of the themes of the book of Esther, which unfortunately we don't really recall, but we have to know. The book of Esther is named Esther. So we had number one, we said, Mekilat Esther means revealing the hidden, that God's name is hidden, Hashem is hidden in history, reveal the hidden. But the second major reason, which is the simpler reason of why it's called Megillat Esther, why it's not called Megillat Mordechai, is because Mordechai lived on. Mordechai lived on to have a Jewish family. In fact, we find in the book of Ezra that Mordechai moved to Israel. Can you imagine? Mordechai moved to Israel. The Talmud says in in Megillah, Mordechai was one of the treasurers of the Beit HaMikdash, the second temple. So Mordechai had a Jewish future. Esther never had a Jewish future, even though she had a child from Ashverosh called Daryavish or Darius II, who allowed the Jews to rebuild the temple. Technically, he was Jewish because he had a Jewish mother, but he wasn't really Jewish. He was assimilated totally. He was the king of the Persian Empire, tremendous position of power. And the Talmud says when he thought about the Beit HaMikdash, he was Jewish. When he thought about his affairs of state, he was not Jewish. He was a typical assimilated product of a, of a mixed marriage, pulled in both directions, and his progeny was definitely not Jewish. So Esther's su- supreme sacrifice was she sacrificed her Jewish heritage. So she tells, tells the rabbis, write for me a book. The book will be my epitaph. The book will be my memory. Can you imagine? Esther never had any Jewish children per se. A child is the book of Esther. We remember the book of Esther. Remember her memory. This is her memory. Purim is the memory of Esther. Remember this heroism of this this poor girl who was taken into the king's palace by force. She was captured. She was uh, kidnapped into the king's palace. And she had to go to the king to save the Jewish people. And she gave up her Jewish heritage because of that. So we have to remember her. That's the main idea. Why is it 
not called Megillah Mordechai. He's the main power behind the story. And the answer is an epitaph for Esther. It's her memory. And it's the underlying tragedy of the story of Purim. And it also alludes to Megillah Esther, which is revealing the hidden. So why do we have to read the Megillah in the night and in the day? Why don't we just read the Megillah once? By the way, there's no Hallel on Purim. The rabbis say there's no Hallel on Purim. Why is there no Hallel on Purim? Because the miracle of Purim happened outside Israel. So Gemara says, what do you mean the miracle of Purim happened outside Israel? There's no Hallel on miracles that happen outside Israel. What about the miracle of Pesach? That happened outside Israel. So Gemara says, ah, that's because we were not in Israel before. But once you go to Israel, we don't see Hallel or miracles outside Israel after that. So that's number one answer. The second answer is the Megillah itself is the Hallel. When we say Megillah, we are praising God, even though his name is not there. The biggest praise of God is to see his hand in history and recognize the hand of history. So that's Hallel. The Hallel is the Megillah. And number three is that the Megillah says that the story of Purim did not achieve anything. Before Purim, we were slaves to Ashverosh. And after Purim, we were slaves to Ashverosh. We just weren't killed, that's all. But we are still, nothing changed, nothing altered. The story of Pesach, right? We were slaves to, uh, to Paro. And after Pesach, we're not slaves to Paro anymore. But in the Purim story, we remained in exile in Persia, the, in, the, in Persia, before the story and after the story. So therefore, the Hallel is not sung on Purim. Nothing really was achieved on Purim. Everything, the status quo remained the status quo. That's the third answer why there's no Hallel on Purim. So why do we have to read the Hallel? Why do we have to read the Megillah? If we said it's instead of Hallel, day and night. So it says it's based on a verse in Psalm, you see, Psalm 21. I think Psalm 21, which is a Psalm we sing on Purim day. Psalm of Purim is Psalm 21. And over there, it's Esther. She was lost. And she says, I pray to God in the day and I pray to God at night. She says, God, don't leave me. Please don't leave me. And we see over here this, this cry of this poor girl who's now lost in the king's harem and in this idolatrous palace full of idolatry. We, we can't even imagine what's going through this poor girl's mind. And she's praying to God. She's praying to God in the day and she's praying to God in the night. So we remember this pleading and crying out to God in the day and night as we read the Megillah in the day and we read the Megillah at night. And uh, so that's why it's named after her. It's a tragic, there's a tragic underlying story of Purim is the story of the giving up the giving up of Esther, the loss of Esther to the Jewish people, terrible. So she says, she says, my glory sings praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God. I give, will give thanks to you forever. Amazing. So it's actually Psalm, Psalm 30, verse 13. So different, different sources for the the idea of saying, saying the beginning of the day and the night. Amazing, 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 right? So the Ibn Ezra says that the reason why God's name is not in the Megillah is because Mordecai was scared that they take out God's name and when they get the Megillah and put their idol's name in there. But Haigaon gives a second reason. He says the entire story appears as a natural phenomenon, 
At no time was there any supernatural signs shown. And therefore, we leave out God's name to show it was, for those who want to believe it was chance, here's your, here's your vehicle. Yes, Purim was a story of chance. But for those who believe in God, we have to recognize that God works through chance. And that's really the message of Purim. That's why Purim is called Purim, even though it's not a Jewish name for a holiday. What can I do? What kind of Jewish name is that for a holiday? It's called the, the holiday of chance, the holiday of lots. And now you have to see, we have to see God in, in nature. We have to see God through all the chances. Amazing. Baruch Hashem. The other reason, the third reason is the Sefer HaEshkol. Sefer HaEshkol says, why is God's name in this book? Because he said, when Mordechai sent it out to all the nations, he was scared they're going to throw it in the garbage after they read it. And therefore, God's name will, will be put into the garbage, and therefore, he didn't put God's name in the book. Okay, that's the third reason. The Abi Asaf says, amazing, he says, to distinguish the book of Esther from all the other holy books, that it should really, we should really be struck by this. How come all the books have God's name in it? The book of Esther knows God's name. To give us this question, to make us think about this question, why is there God, no God's name in the book of Esther? It's a unique book that we are the ones have to look for God in history. We are the ones that have to look in the story of history. Um, the Kabbalah tells us that there's another answer. And that is we find the name Hamelech, Hamelech, the king, the king, the king. So the Kabbalah says, whenever it says the king, it's referring to God. So there's a reference to God in the Megillah. Whenever it says the word HaMelech, the king, that is Hashem. When it says Melech Hashverosh, that's Hashverosh. When it says HaMelech, the king, that's a hint to God. And it says the word HaMelech, the king, 187 times in the Megillah. That is wild. So that's our reference to God. We just have to recognize that God is the king. And that's what we do every time we say a bracha, bracha to Hashem. The king of the universe. And that is what the Megillah tells us is the king is there. The king is right in front of our eyes. The trouble is we have to open our eyes to see it. You know, I just want to end off with this idea, this idea that Hagar. Here is Hagar. Her son, uh, Ishmael, is thirsty in the desert. They have no more water. And she puts him underneath this bush in the shade. And he's dying of thirst and he's sick. And she just can't bear to see him die and she walks far away it says the as far as you can shoot an arrow it's quite far away and she's sitting over there and then it says the angel comes and she's crying over there. the angel says Malach Hagar why are you crying Hagar Hagar says my son is dying of thirst and it says the angels opened her eyes and she saw a stream of water it doesn't say the angel created the stream of water it says the angel opened her eyes. There was a stream of water right there in front of her, and she couldn't see it. The reason why she couldn't see it was she gave up hope. And this is a message to us. The story for him is a Jew should never give up hope because though we can't see him, God is right there. This will be our revelation of Purim. Why is Purim called Purim? It's a lottery, the lottery of life. Does God play dice with the universe? And the answer is God doesn't play dice. He's the master of the dice. He is the master of chance. He is in charge of all these happenings. And he knows very well what's going on. And he's right in front of us. We just have to turn back the curtain and find him. So everyone, happy, happy Purim, whatever time zone you are. If you're going to read the Megillah, pay attention. There's no name of God, but there is Hamedach, the king. When you think a king, the king is God. Okay, guys. Uh,
You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.